chromosomes. Little strands of nucleic acids and proteins are the fundamental genetic instructions that tell us who we are at birth. Most people are born with 46 chromosomes, but each year in the United States, about 6,000 people are born with an extra chromosome, making them a person with Down syndrome. If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Allie, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I am excited to welcome Derek Kossebaum to the show today. Derek is co-owner of Cosmos Corporation, which is a family-owned manufacturing company that makes health and wellness products in the pet industry. Derek, I am so excited to have you here today. Oh, good morning. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Yeah, well, I've been wanting to have you on the show, but I know you've had some travels. You've been down under. That's right. right? Just got back from Australia. (laughs) And it was wonderful, I hear. It was a great trip. We love Australia. I took my wife and we got some business time and some pleasure time as well. Well, very good. Well, I want to dive right in because there's a lot that I want to talk about this morning. Tell us a little bit about growing up. I grew up in St. Louis, lived here all my life, have three brothers, two sisters. We were raised in a small town called High Ridge, Missouri, which is just south of St. Louis. Grew up as each other's friends. We had no one else around us. I think that helped develop us through the years just to kind of rely on each other. My dad was a barber of the town. When I was in elementary school, everybody knew, oh, your dad cut my hair. So throughout the years, you know, people knew us and stuff like that. But around the 70s, my mom and dad just came to know God, wanted to get more involved in the church and stuff like that. And as we were sitting there on Sunday mornings, he'd hear these missionaries come in and talk. And they talk about their adventures and how they see God moving around the world. And my mom and dad just got a burden for the mission field. But he knew as a barber, he could never do that. You know, you got to cut hair to be able to Mm -hmm. keep paying the bills. So in 1980, he bought a distribution center for beauty supplies. It was more of a struggle than he thought it was going to be. Probably a couple weeks after he bought the company, he found out that there were some unpaid taxes, some unpaid bills, and quite a bit of debt that he needed to cover. So the next three to four years was a quite struggle for my father. I remember waking up at three o'clock in the morning, many mornings, and just hearing my mom and dad praying, you know, God, please don't let us go bankrupt. Please don't let us go out of business. And it was around 1984, actually, that I was with my parents. We're out in California. I had two other siblings with me, another older sister and my younger brother. And we went to a church, and the pastor who was preaching basically said that, you know, there just needs to be people in the church, people in the kingdom of God that have prosperity to move things forward. So my mom and dad, walking across the hot pavement of the asphalt after church, we got to the back of the camper, and my dad just said, I'm done. God, you take it. If you want to grow it, grow it. But if it's not for us, take it away. 
And it was about a year later that uh, it was really interesting. A dog groomer called my dad. She said, can I use your product in my dog grooming shop? And at that time, my dad said, I'll sell it anywhere. You know, I just need money. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so within that, he started selling dog shampoo. He had someone making him dog shampoo at the time, selling dog shampoo to dog grooming shops. And one thing led to another, and we're in the pet industry now. So in 1990, the gentleman who was making shampoo for us had a heart attack and passed away. Again, my dad was like, well, I'll just buy the company and we'll start making dog shampoo. He went back to the wife of the husband who died mm -hmm. and basically just said, can I buy your company? And she said, yeah, same amount of money as he bought the previous company. He goes, no, I've been there before. Don't want to do that again. <laughs> but he bought the equipment to begin making shampoo. Okay. And we had a, a lady mm -hmm. come in and teach us how to make shampoo. And we began making a brand called Tropiclean. It was the first natural shampoo on the market at mm -hmm. that time that we knew of that was really promoted that way. That allowed my mom and dad then to step into the mission field. Around 1992, if you remember right, in August 92, Hurricane Andrew hit Miami. And my mom and dad went down there to serve. And when they got down there, they met a group of Guatemalans. There were about 30 Guatemalans that came up, rode in a school bus all the way up through Mexico, all the way through Texas, down to Miami. And they were serving. And my mom and dad served with them. And they served so well that actually my dad got a direct line to President Bush's private secretary at the time that if he needed anything, he could just give her a call. So it's really interesting. God's favor was upon it. But that launched my mom and dad into the mission field. And it launched myself and my brothers into creating this brand called Tropiclean. So therefore, we spent the next 30 years now building this brand that we call Tropiclean. And we've just seen God's favor mm -hmm. and his hand of favor upon our company throughout the years. Wow. There is so much packed in there. Because I'm just thinking about your dad. He didn't go to business school, did no, he, Derek? No. <laughs> it was kind of learning as he went, That's right? right? I mean, it took a lot of courage. That's right. And if you think about it, my mom and dad started in 1970, starting to hear about the mission field. Mm -hmm. In 1980, said, we're going to make this move towards it. But it wasn't really until 1992, 93 that they were released into that. So for 12 years, it was a burden on their heart, but it didn't happen yet. Mm -hmm. So it was the longevity of staying towards that focus and just saying, I'm going for this. I know I'm supposed to do this. It's a hope within inside of me. And they kept pushing towards that hope. Yes, I think that's an encouragement for people out there that may have something that's been put on their heart like that. And, you know, it may not happen next year. It may not happen in five years. You that's may right. have to wait 20 years. We're a family that definitely believes in God and what the Bible says. In Hebrews 11, it talks about the heroes of old, Abraham and many of the faith leaders. And it says many of them died without ever seeing the fulfillment of what was to be mm -hmm. and what they had hoped for. Sometimes it's that it's just maybe the next generation will carry out the dreams that we actually had, but we continue to push on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what my dad always instilled in us, and my mom instilled it in us, is just to keep going, keep driving towards that which we desire to do. But like you said, none of us actually have a formal college education. I have a, one brother. He has an aerospace engineering degree, making dog shampoo. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I came right out of high school. I graduated from DeSmet High School. And the next day, I'm selling dog shampoo out of my car. <laughs> I have another brother who wanted to be in the police force, and he came in selling dog shampoo. And I have one brother that went to accounting, but he never completed all the way through. But uh -huh. he was our CEO for many years. Sure. CFO. So talk to me. I'm going to back up one minute. Tell me all of your siblings' names. I'll just go through the path. Yes. It goes Don, Carol, 
Darren, Darlene, Derek, and Denver. I think that that is so fun. And I've <laughs> asked you about that. And right. I said, did Carol ever go, hey, what what were you thinking? Why? But she was number two. That's right. Right? And so then they just decided we really, really like the Ds. And so that's what, uh, three through six. That's right. <laughs> so she, I'm sure at times she probably felt left out. Yeah, it was just, you know, by the time they got to Carol, I think they heard of uh, Jack, Janet, Jane, you mm-hmm. know, family, and they're like, well, we want to go with the D's also. Mm-hmm. So they're able to fulfill that. I want to back up to another point where you said, like, on the Tropiclean, that mm-hmm. you guys were using natural ingredients. What inspired you to do that? I mean, what was it that you said, this is how we're going to do It's a big difference sure, for sure. you guys, right? When we created Tropiclean, we wanted to create a brand around tropical ingredients. So, therefore, we put Tropi clean together. So we were cleaning with tropical ingredients because we knew that the market was turning towards natural. It came through the 80s, of course. We're starting now into the 90s, wanting to develop this brand. Originally, it was called Prestige Products, but we changed that brand name so we could work within that because Prestige didn't really say natural. Sure. One of the first products we ever came out with that was a true natural product that really redefined a category was the Neem Flea and Tick Shampoo. And funny story about that was my brother, Darren, who has developed a lot of our formulas over the years, uh, was listening to the news and it said the St. Louis Botanical Gardens got their first neem tree. And neem was a tree to solve all problems. And a little story about that was in the 50s, a big locust infestation came through India, killed off all the vegetation except for the neem tree. So people were wondering, why is this such a good insecticide? Well, now we can use it in a flea and tick shampoo to kill a flea on contact. And it takes about two to three minutes on a tick. But we came out with a first natural flea and tick shampoo. That's brilliant. uh, It just took off for us. That's brilliant. Wow. Talk to me a little bit because I know that there's some uniqueness with family-owned businesses. You guys probably never argued or never never (laughs) had a, you know, impasse in decision-making or anything like that, right? Well, well, that's the great thing about families is you always agree. You know, it's always, it goes smooth and everybody thinks the same way and, you know, because you got the same last name and we all know that's not true. There's many family businesses that don't succeed. And thinking about that, one thing that we did at the very beginning is we all said we're going to make the same amount of money. No one makes more money than each other. So that was our first decision. I think that was key to our success was we all are the same value to the Mm -hmm. organization. There's not one that's making more money because they're the CFO or there's not one that's making less because he's a salesperson. He's got to prove his sales and stuff like that. But we all brought our uniqueness. One other part of that that as I thought about this is – We can't go into someone else's area. There's people with different giftings. We call it swim lanes here. That's right. You stay in your own lane, right? And uh, too many times we want to, even in help, go into that other lane and say, hey, have you thought about this or we're doing this wrong? And you can always give a suggestion, but you got to leave it up to the other person to take the direction. And usually you don't give a suggestion in family unless you're asked for that suggestion because too many times it's taken the wrong way. So we have argued, but the other part of it is you are family. And when you walk out the door at the end of the day, you're family. Mm -hmm. So you walk out the door of the organization, you go back into family. So you have to remember family comes first. There's just so much packed in there. And I think part of the secret sauce for you guys mm-hmm. because you got an amazing culture. I know you know yeah. we can talk a little bit about that. Even the hiring process that you guys go through is very arduous, but you're wanting to make sure people are completely aligned with the culture. I think, you know, one of the secret sauces is you all had a common 
mission. At the end of the day, I think that's the other uniqueness is the intersection of the business. And it really kind of what your dad kind of was like the aha. It's like, I want to do something to serve, but I know I need this other vehicle. I can't just be a barber. I think that's a brilliant point because we got the vision that my parents had. And so my parents were basically the helping hand out into the world of what we actually wanted to do, but it was up to our responsibility to fulfill our end of that, which was create the income for what we wanted to do. Within that, we saw the vision of what my mom and dad's heart were, which were the poor and needy around the world. But really, a lot of it was the children, because a lot of times there's good organizations that serve the children, but it's more for building that organization than actually serving the children is what we found. I could go into the whole story of where my parents were, but their heart was actually just to help the poor and needy around the world. Mm-hmm. And they've done this many different ways, and they've been chased through the Congo. They've been through Albania and in 1998 during the Albanian crisis where they needed to feed the refugees from Albania. They snuck across the border and were able to do that. But one of their hearts was definitely Central America. They went down there, they drove down there many a times throughout the years to reach the Indian villages that no one else could get into. And within that, they got a heart for the people. And I think when it all comes down to it is they got the heart, but because of the DNA, we got the heart. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to do what we did every day to help their vision. Right. Well, I want to dive more into that because that is just fascinating to me. But we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Derek Kassebaum. As a business leader, you know that keeping a solid first impression with your potential clients, customers, and talent is vital to reaching your organization's goals. If you haven't optimized your website, or if you don't even have a website, you're missing an opportunity to shape your first impression so that it shows your brand in the best possible light. If you're thinking about revolutionizing your website, let's talk. Our team at Technology Partners is ready to help you reshape your online presence. Go to tpi.co slash websites and start your journey today. Derek, so you just said to me a lot of things about your parents and how they had this heart. And then you guys caught that. But what I want you to dive into, that does not just happen because I know sometimes that doesn't pass on. So what kinds of things did your parents do? I mean, what was it about how they led their life that got all of you guys passionate too? Every time my parents came back, we had a time to get together. One thing that we do in our company and we've always done in our family is on Monday mornings, we get together and pray. So we pray every Monday morning. We get there an hour, hour and a half, sometimes ahead of time. And we just pray because that's what we do. But my dad would tell stories, you know, he'd just get back in from out of town. He'd tell stories of what had just happened. And when we'd hear these stories, we got the bug that he had, Mm -hmm. which was the love bug for others. And I think when you catch that, you then increase your vision of what could possibly be throughout the whole organization. So I think that's kind of how it transferred is he just kept telling the stories of what had happened within their travels. Now, we wanted to be a part of that, but we also want to do our job well so that they could continue on the progress of where where they've been. Yeah. So talk to us about Guatemala and what all have they done in Guatemala? Because I know they've done a lot in Guatemala and now Haiti and some other places. Well, throughout the years as they drove down to Guatemala, which is crazy enough, and they have so many... You can actually drive, right? They actually drove. So drove all the way through Mexico. All the way through, and and they have so many stories in that. 
My dad wrote a book called He Will Make a Way, which you can find on Amazon. I think it's a great read. Everybody that's read it loves it. I cried through the whole thing. And it tells all those stories. But as they went down there in 2006, they just got a heart for the kids down there. And so they actually bought 24 acres. It was an old orchard. And their heart was to actually build a children's home down there for kids that were on the street. One thing that grew out of that was they started having the government come by and say, would you take this child because of this reason or that reason. And a lot of times it was because orphanages wouldn't take them because there was baggage with them. For example, there was a my first trip down there, the director was telling me of a six-year-old girl who was put out for prostitution by her parents every day for two years so that their parents could get money. Of course, just damaged child. There's just so much to go through mm-hmm. within that. And so they gave forever homes to these children. So right now we have about 100 children down there that we care for. But also throughout the years, as my parents went up into the Indian villages, to these churches, to minister to the people, many of the churches said, can we join you? And my mom and dad say, well, there's nothing to join. And they'd say, well, could we join you? So my mom and dad realized they had to put together an organization. And so they created an organization called Gifts of Love International. Corporations in St. Louis would give them gifts and send it down there, you know, of unused merchandise Mm -hmm. and things like that. Uh, Grandpa Pigeons, who was here at one time in the St. Louis region, would give all their unsaid sellable clothes and they'd take it down there for the people. But they created this organization. So over the years, about 65 churches have joined that are Guatemalan churches. So I have one brother, his name is Don, my oldest brother, oversees the children's home now. My brother Darren oversees the 65 churches and just helps the leadership within that. It's been passed on to that next generation. And with doing that, we also have to pass on our company to the next generation. And I know you would like to ask some (laughs) questions within that. I do. I do. So a few years ago, I I don't know if it's four years ago, five years ago, you guys decided to pass the baton to the next generation. Talk a little bit about that journey. Yeah, it becomes a huge challenge because it's what you built. It's what you know for probably your whole corporate life if you've started as an entrepreneur from the beginning. Giving up those reins to someone else is very hard. It was, it was about four or five years ago that we decided to do that, but it was only two years ago that we were able to do that mm. because we were finally able to just go, we've got to do this. we got to trust the people that we're going to give it to, and then we have to get out of the way. An interesting story that my dad taught us years ago was when he gave the company to us in 1992, he was actually in Miami, and he was driving all the way home because we drove all over the United States at that time, and as he went through Orlando, he picked up a hitchhiker. And that hitchhiker was with him for about an hour. I think my dad said he was drunk and everything. But when he got out, my dad gave him one of his last $20 bills. Then he went on and he heard God say to him, you're willing to give a stranger the last of what you have, but you won't turn over the company to your sons. So he went home right away and turned over the company to my oldest brother, Don, at the time. And he was able to give up, but that launched him into the new endeavor in his life. It's the same with us. You got to learn for that next generation is, they're going to do it different than you. Mm-hmm. They're going to think different than you, and they're probably going to do it better than you. You just got to <laughs> sit back and watch. Sure. Yeah, and I think sometimes the fear is that they won't do it better, or even if they do it differently, it's not going to be the right thing, and then, you know, what happens? Then? That's right. But, but I think you have found that when the reins got turned over, and this is Don's daughter, Nikki's husband, that right? That is correct. Landon, that uh, the reins were turned over to. I mean, I think he's got a lot of new ideas and a lot of vision. and He does, and he's, he's very good at handling five different personalities. 
<laughs> you know, five different strong personalities. Sure. But within that, you give it to the right person mm-hmm. and let them flourish and run with it mm-hmm. and get out of the way. Right. I love that. That is great. Well, this is something extra. Derek, I want you to talk about something extra that you've seen in a team member or, you know, I mean, obviously your dad has lots of something extras, you know, that we could talk about, but tell us some stories. It's really interesting you brought up Landon. When Don first mentioned bringing Landon in, I was probably not Landon's biggest fan. Um, I was just thinking my brother Don wanted his son-in-law in the company. Mm -hmm. But when we brought Landon in as our CEO two years ago in November 2017, one thing we definitely messaged to him is we want to keep the culture that we had. We had never defined it, but we wanted to keep that culture. So over the next six months, Landon Hobson and Stacey Harrell, our director of HR, got together and collaborated and said, what is that culture? And they came up with uh, five culture principles that we live by now, which is honest and humble evaluation, clarity and communication, be a creator, be willing to make the coffee, pet parent approved because we're in the pet industry, of course. (laughs) And within that, then they were able to message that to the entire organization. And that's now what we live by. It's pretty neat. You brought up Australia at the beginning. Mm -hmm. We had our Australian distributor in back in March, and he got to hear this. He got to see our morning meetings. He got to listen to our culture. He got to see the people and the way they respond to each other. And so he actually asked me to come over and teach those culture values to his team. So I just got back. I had the privilege of going to Australia. And now outside of our company, we're helping another company build this culture. That's amazing. That's uh, so cool. When I got there, I was able to make this presentation. But beforehand, they introduced me to a few people. One of the young men that they introduced me to was a 19-year-old named James. I asked James what he did. And he said, I just work in the warehouse. Well, I keyed in on that. Mm -hmm. And so when I make my presentation, I asked James to come up. And I say, does everybody know what James does? And they all said, well, he picks and packs, he, he pulls product, you know, he cleans the warehouse, he dumps the trash. Then I said, does everybody know what Dan does? Dan's the sales manager. Well, he sets the goals, he helps develop salespeople, he lands some deals. And then I said, what does Heinrich do? Heinrich's the owner. Well, he pays the bills and everybody's more scared to talk then. <laughs> and uh, he pays our paycheck. And I said, who's the most important person in the organization? And no one wanted to say anything. And I said, they all are the most important person in the organization. And I said, I live by the Bible. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the body is made up of many parts. And the hand can't say to the eye, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye. Or the foot can't say to the hand, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a foot. So it takes the entire body to move forward. And an interesting thing in that is I asked James at that point to eat a donut. And of course, a 19-year-old, yes, I'll eat a donut. But I tied his hands behind his back. And I made him eat the donut off the table. (laughs) And afterward, I said, James, were you able to eat the donut? He said, yes. I go, would have been easier with your hands? And he said, yes. And I go, they're not just your hands anymore, are they? But they're part of the entire body. And with your hands, you can function a lot better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's key for us. And what Landon brought to the team was I'm willing to be humble in my evaluation of myself that I'm not too big for this organization because I'm at the top, or I'm not too small for the organization. But the Bible actually says the weaker are indispensable. So I just love that they're able to take our culture of what we were doing and actually put a definition to it. And now we can message that out to both inside our corporation and outside our corporation. Absolutely. 
So Derek, one of your core values is I will make the coffee for you. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Where did that come from? Sure. I was wanting to know as well. And so when I found out what the story was, I thought it was really neat because it's how we always led as well. Landon comes in, our CEO comes in every morning, beats everybody else there and makes the coffee for everybody else. He helps set the pace for the day. He takes that challenge away right at the beginning so that they can walk in there, get their coffee cup and start drinking their coffee. That core value means this is sometimes during the day, you get a very busy day, but so do those that are working around you. Mm-hmm. And just take a few minutes out of your day to ask somebody, is there something I can do to help you? Or when asked, don't just push it off. Just say, yeah, let me help you. Let me make the coffee for you. And we just try and build that sense of servanthood, even in the team members. And it's starting at the top. That's right. <laughs> right from Landon, the yes, CEO. Yes, right from Landon. That's great. So tell me, Derek, what do you believe is the something extra that every leader needs? I changed my philosophy on leadership over the last five years. And within that, I believe that a leader's vision is not for the organization, but the organization's vision is for the leader. If you take a triangle and you flip a triangle upside down, normally the way we build a org chart is we'll put the leader at the top and everybody else underneath them. Mm -hmm. I believe you should actually flip it upside down and put the leader at the bottom with the triangle upside down now because the leader holds up the organization and allows everybody to flourish up and out of it. If you put a leader at the top, like we learned in the 80s, you know, Mm -hmm. climb the corporate ladder, sure, you only get so high. You can only grow so much. Mm -hmm. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble is I can't do any more because I'm at the top. Or I can't get to the top because there's others in my way. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're at the bottom holding up the entire organization and saying, I'm just watching, what can I do to help you go forward? Mm -hmm. You help the organization go forward. I just saw a picture of a wolf pack. They always put the elderly or the sick wolves at the front to set the pace for the entire wolf pack. Because if you set the pace too fast, they fall behind. Mm -hmm. Right behind that is some strong wolves to protect them. Then you have the body of the wolf pack. You have some strong wolf packs at the back to protect the entire pack. But the leader always follows at the end. And the reason he's following at the end is so he can set the pace. He can help. He can maneuver. He can make sure that they get to their final destination. And I think that's the core of a leader. Mm. If we can learn that is we just need to watch the organization. We don't need to pull the organization. Let them do what we've hired them to do. Let them be who they're supposed to be, but help direct to get to that final vision that we're all shooting for. Mm, What a beautiful illustration. I love that. When you're at the back, you're seeing everything, right? If you're in the front, you don't always see, but boy, I mean, you have to have that vision from the back, you know, to see how the whole team is working together. That is correct. And you can make directions very easy Mm -hmm. if you got your eyes on the whole organization Mm -hmm. instead of you're trying to get everybody to catch your vision. If the entire organization can set the vision and know where they're going, everybody takes ownership of that vision. Beautiful. I love that illustration. Well, tell me, is there anything right now that you're involved in that you want our listeners to know about? And if they're excited to get involved, how do they do that? So a couple of years ago, as we transitioned leadership to Lannan and the team, I sat there and go, what am I supposed to do? Well, I grew up in this beautiful city called St. Louis. And St. Louis has struggled over the years with many different things, crime, reconciliation. I've gotten able to be out in the community and just talk to the different people that are 
affecting the St. Louis area. One of the gentlemen that I just talked with is Kurt Wilson. He's started this organization called Pray for the Lou. The news just did an article on him uh, during the time where we had some really bad violence in St. Louis over the Labor Day weekend. And so Kurt has put together this 314 prayer. And what he's asking everybody to do is that just set your phones for 314 every day for 60 seconds. Just pray over our city. Pray for God to just come in and just touch our city, help ease the hurt, ease the pain, and get rid of the violence in our city. But he's also set a time on March 14th, 314, 2020, that he's asking some churches in the 79 precincts to get together on that day and pray over our city and just pray for God to come in and just reveal himself here mm-hmm. again. So if you want more information, just go to prayfortheloo.org. Now the four is F-O-R, so prayfortheloo.org. Mm-hmm. And you can find out all the information if you want to get involved. Very good. Well, I hope a lot of our listeners do. Derek, this has been just so much fun. It has been a pleasure to be oh, with my you pleasure. today. My pleasure. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc., 2019. For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.